So we are in the second half of Romans. So go ahead and turn in there if you have your Bibles with you. Romans chapter 8 or your phones. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5. Um, today we're talking about the subject of desire. We're talking about the subject of desire. Now, for many of us, the idea of desire is not something we think a whole lot about, but really desires actually shape the outcomes of our life. And we've been talking about this for a while. We've been talking about the fact that everyone operates on a set of rules. And those rules are either healthy rules or they're unhealthy rules. But today we're going to turn from the idea of rules, which have a relationship to desires, but to desires. One of my favorite writers is uh, the the writer C.S. Lewis. And uh, I went to a college up in Chicago, and we have the, the C.S. Lewis Institute up there. So I actually got an opportunity to hold, like, handwritten letters by C.S. Lewis, who wrote some children. He was a professor at Oxford University, uh, wrote a series of children's novels uh, and children's books, and also was a medieval Renaissance scholar. He was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and an apologist to boot. In one of his books called The Weight of Glory, he talks about desire, and he says, our Lord, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of holiday at the sea. We are far, far too easily pleased. And I think what Lewis hits on is something super important for us, and that is the idea that desire is only fulfilled in something other than what we generally land our desires on. That our desires are actually only fulfilled in Christ himself. But for many of us, we fall short of that and we stop short of God and we land our desires on other things. Like if you're a materialist in the room, if your thing is big bank accounts and big fancy cars and big fancy houses. Like, I mean, if, that is, if your thing is materiality and that is your big chief goal in life, then ultimately what happens is you have taken all of your desire and placed it on these things, which actually cannot turn back around and give you what you desire. I mean, there are plenty of wealthy people all over the world that find themselves completely unhappy and completely dissatisfied. Why? Because wealth was never meant to bear up under the weight of your desire. It's not capable of giving to you what you need. He goes on to write later in that book, and he says this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the idea behind that, I just call the Santa Claus effect. The Santa Claus effect. So when my wife and I first got married, I just, I grew up in a family that was just dysfunctional in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways in which it was dysfunctional was Christmas. And so I would spend time with my mom. They were divorced. And then I would go to my dad's house. Many of you know exactly what that's like, vice versa. But I'd go to my dad's house and it would be Christmas with the girlfriend du jour of that year, right? And so I would always spend Christmas with some random lady that I didn't know. And this is your aunt so-and-so. I was like, dear God. And, uh, and so it was just random, weird, and strange when I was a kid. And so consequently, I actually grew up not loving Christmas a whole lot. And so I married this woman, Kelly, and, and she is wonderful, and she loves Christmas. And so the first year, she goes, what are we going to do for Christmas? What special traditions are we going to invent? And I go, I don't really care. I, I'm not interested in Christmas at all. And she goes, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's going to have to change. And I was like, yes, ma'am, because I'm the spiritual leader in my family. And, uh, and I, I was like, yeah, I got to change that, man. I got to change that. I got to figure that out somehow. Because I knew it was wrong, it was dysfunctional, weird. 
Um, but one of the things that actually was never fixed when it came to Christmas is the feeling that I have all the time at the very end of Christmas, right? I love the Christmas season. And by the way, if you have never been to Grace during Christmas season, you are going to have your, I mean, it's just so good. Like we decorate like crazy here. I think we had something like 75 Christmas trees in the building last year. And we bought like way more. So, so it's going to be great. I mean, we turned the entire stage into like a Narnia experience with lampposts and everything. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You're going to love it if you've never been there before. But all of that came out of Kelly just saying, you know, you got to fix this thing in you. But here's the thing. I love Christmas now and I love the season leading up to it. But here's one of the great challenges that I always have had with it. I give my kids these uh, presents and sometimes they're grateful, and, uh, and, and it's great. It's what, I love giving. That's one of my favorite parts about Christmas. I love giving. Um, I get presents, and I'm a hard person to buy presents for, but I, I get presents, and I'm like, yay. You know? But at the, very, at the very end of it, though, I, like, I always just find myself outside by myself just for a few minutes, and I'm like, is that all there is? There is kind of a let, weird letdown that happens right after Christmas for me, and I think it's exactly what Lewis is talking about. I think that there's something inside of me, some desires inside of me that were not made for this world, that I'm actually supposed to be part of another world, and I will be part of that world in the kingdom of God when we see him face to face. And all those desires that will never be satisfied in this life will be satisfied in him. And our job right now is to take those desires, which we find in ourselves all the time, that don't really, shouldn't really land on things like alcohol or sex or materiality or whatever it is, and realize that those things cannot bear up under the weight of our expectations. They cannot wear, bear up under the weight of our desire. Desire is deeper. And that's what Lewis meant when he said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, you, the struggles that you have, you're like, I can't stop doing this thing. I can't stop quitting this. Paul, why do I do the thing that I don't want to do? Why, why am I doing the thing that I hate? And, and at the end of the day, Part of what he's talking about right there is there's a part of us that is, just, and we're going to look at it today, that is kind of disabled from being able to make that right choice all the time. Desires can be good and desires can be bad. And so I want to introduce you, before I look at the scripture, I want to introduce you to a principle that, that we have at the very beginning of this. Desires are either fed or starved in your life. Desires are either fed or, star, or starved in your life, right? So what do I mean by that? I mean that when you find good desires in your life, and here's what we do, when you find good desires in your life, your job is to feed those desires. And then when you find things that pull you away from God, your job is to starve those things instead of feeding them. But what happens frequently is that we switch it around. All of a sudden now, I'm feeding things that I shouldn't be feeding in my life, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Let me give you an example. For some of you, you have trouble with drinking. You just do. And if you were intellectually honest with yourself, you go, yeah, that's my, that's my big problem. But, but listen, we're not judging you for it. We're not angry about it. None of that stuff. Because we always believe, start from where you are right now and take your next step toward Jesus. That's what we're doing. We don't point fingers here. But, here, but I want you to see what happens. You were, the Bible says that you, that you can, I mean, you can drink, by the way. If you grew up Baptist, I'm sorry. Like that's, that's just, they're wrong. They're just wrong. And all of Christianity knows it except for Baptists for some reason, right? Like I, I don't understand it, but, but, but here, but Ephesians 5.18 gives us clear boundaries. Don't be drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ironically, it says, don't go too far, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. 
But here's what happens. I'm free. I can drink. So I get up and I drink and I drink too much. And then I get up the next day because I'm free to drink and I drink too much. Jesus' first miracle was a miracle of turning water into wine in Cana of Galilee. Then I wake up the next day and then I'm free and I drink too much. And then I'm free and I, I drink too much. And then eventually I wake up and I'm not free to not drink anymore. Because what was once a freedom has now turned into slavery. I'm now enslaved to this thing. And as we think about desires, we need to recognize that what I feed becomes bigger in my life, what I starve becomes smaller in my life. And so as we look at our lives right now and see some of the outcomes, we can start looking at ourselves. Guys, the spiritual life is actually easily measured. It's not this esoteric thing. It's easily measured, and we know it because Jesus said things like this. You'll know a good tree by its... That's right. You'll know a bad tree by its... In other words, the outcomes, the evidence of a person's life reveals what's going on and what they're committed to in their heart. And we can see that. So let's dive into the text today. Um, Paul has some amazing stuff to show us. Here we go. Verse 5 says this. Those who live according or cooperate with the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. All right, so let's take a look at this. Those who live according, in other words, those who cooperate with the flesh. And we've talked about the flesh, right? The flesh is at war with the spirit. Three weeks ago, I talked about what's on the inside of a Christian. And what's on the inside of a Christian are two things the Bible constantly talks about. On the one side, you have the flesh. And this is a broken down remnant of your old self in sin. We don't get rid of it this side of paradise. But the Father in glorification, when we see him face to face, rips it out of us. And there's never, from that point on, when we're in heaven, any desire that does not desire God first. So not right now, we have the flesh inside of us, and it wars against God. And on the other side of us, we have the Spirit. And the Spirit is God. And so these two have opposing things. And that's why and it explains so much. It explains why when you look at the world right now, there are people who don't, they seem to be at war with themselves. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why do I not do the things I want to do? And then why am I doing the thing that I hate? There's a war back and forth inside of Paul, just like there is inside of you sometimes, just like there is inside of your neighbor sometimes. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set. So he says, here's how you solve that. You have to set your mind on something. You have to focus your mind on something specific. And as you do that, you begin to feed that thing and starve the other thing. If you want to be fit, you have to walk by and starve the donuts out in the lobby. I'm just saying, you have to, right? To say yes to something else means necessarily saying no to something else. We have to feed one thing, we have to starve the other thing, right? And so those who, according to, who, who um, live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. What does the, the flesh desire? Well, first of all, to note that the flesh produces desires inside of you. So if the flesh is warring against God and you're a Christian, then you have something inside of you that's generating desire. And that thing generating desire is generating things that want to pull you away from God. So sometimes we need to question ourselves. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's all about what we, what we set our minds on. What I put my mind on, that is what begins to happen in my life, right? We can see it. It's very practical, very, very easy for us to understand. If you are an athlete and you set your mind on being an athlete a long time ago, then you have what? You have fitness outcomes. You just do. You look different. You know what? It's, when you are in the gym, when you're in the gym all the time and you are lifting weights and you're doing whatever it is, swimming, whatever, running, doing whatever you're doing, 
You're going to look different. You don't just wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, how did that happen? You know, there's cause and effect. Conversely, like for most of my life, when you eat the donut too often, you end up looking like a donut, right? That's not a surprise. That's not like, like, oh my gosh, how did this happen, right? It ended up happening because what we fix our mind on becomes what comes out of our life. And if you're an academic person and you went to, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17 years of school and you became a subject matter expert in something, it's not a surprise that you're a subject matter at something. Why? Because you set your mind on that and said, this is what's going to happen. If you're a relationship person and, you know, you are, just have a high EQ and you can talk to people and it all makes sense and, and people are comfortable around you, people walk away thinking, man, you're, this person's my best friend. And, and, and that's how you are. It's because you cultivated that over time. You learned it. You set your mind on being good with people. And the outcome of that is that you have interpersonal outcomes that are positive, maybe better than the average. In fact, if you're a business person too, and you focused most of your life on business, you have financial outcomes. You do. Why? Because you set your mind on it. And when he says, if you set your mind on flesh, then the flesh will war against God and the outcomes of my life will look fleshly right? But those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on it. So what does it mean to live in accordance with the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Here's what it means. It means what the Bible teaches us it means. We already know. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. That's what the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is. So when you look at the world and you go, is it very loving right now? Not so much. Is it peaceful? No. Is it patient with everyone else? No. Now let's take that and turn it back around and look at ourselves. Am I loving? Am I super patient with everyone else around me? Am I a kind person? If not, the outcomes of our life don't represent the fact that we've set our minds on the spirit. If we are not loving, if we are impatient, if we are not kind, if we are not gentle, then we have set our mind on the flesh. And the outcome of the flesh is death. Relationally, interpersonally, nationally, it's death. But we are Christians. We're different. We're supposed to be. And Paul calls us to that difference. Let me, let me show you what it looks like, what, the, what happens when we set our minds on the flesh. It says it like this. Galatians 5.17, I'm going to give you two different versions of the same verse. So it'll be 5.17 for both of these. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, he says this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit. Now, just, just so you know, when you're reading your Bibles, and I hope you are, but when you're reading the Bibles and you see this capital S everywhere in the New Testament, this always means Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes you'll see me pop in brackets, holy, because I want to make sure that we know what we're talking about. In Instead of spirit as in like, this is, you know, um, I have spirit. Yes, I do. I have spirit. How about you, right? Like that's different, right? That's a totally different kind of thing, right? So contrary to that, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It sounds like he's saying here at the very end, this is why I wanted to bring this other translation, that when my mind is set on the, on the, on the flesh, that I'm not able to do what I want. And that's very similar to what it says up here. Look at this. The sinful nature wants to do evil. I don't think it can be any clearer than that. The flesh, the sinful nature, they're, they're equivalent. They want to do evil inside of us and inside of the world, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So what we see so far in the verse is that the flesh generates desires and the Spirit generates desires. Here's the thing. 
Our job is to be the third party in between these desires. Desires of flesh, desires of the spirit. What I do is I take a step back from my, in my life, I look at my life, and I go, am I walking in the flesh? Am I walking in the spirit? You know that you, the Bible teaches us that we can do it because it says you have a, a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Power, which means the ability to choose, to make differences. You have free will given to you by God, and that free will allows you to take a step back from your life, look at your life, and go, am I walking in flesh? Am I walking in spirit? When I find myself walking in the flesh, which you will as a Christian, what's going to happen is I'm going to redirect myself to the spirit, and I'm going to say, God, I want to, I need more of you. And we'll, I'll show you how to do that in just, in just a little bit. But it goes on, it says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces inside of us are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So sometimes when you have good intentions to go from here to here, what gets in between those things that pulls you off track is the flesh. And some, all of us have done it at one point or another. We start off the beginning of a brand new year. We're like, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve more, whatever it is. And then down the road, what happens is we get pulled in different directions. Why? Because the flesh inside of us is generating all kinds of desires. It's your job to look at that and go, I'm not going to pay attention to this. I'm going to starve that. And I'm going to feed this other thing. Do you know how you stop smoking? And I don't care if you smoke or not. I mean, stupid, but I don't care if you're smoking, right? Now, just listen, just for your health, it's dumb. You know it. I mean, everyone, you literally pick it up and it goes, this will kill you. You're like, cool. All right. So, but, but, but anyway, all that. But you know how you stop that? You know how you stop it? You stop it not by trying to stop smoking, but by trying to get healthy. You got to starve this by loving something more. You know how somebody stops drinking alcohol, like a real alcoholic? A doctor comes to them and says, hey, any moment now, you are going to die. Another drink, and that's it. And I want to love my future better than I love this stuff over here. So we fall in love. We change by loving something more than something else. And we do that by feeding something more and starving something less. Starving something more. So desires are either starved or fed. But one of the things that we have to be committed to is, as we've been talking about in this whole series, is looking at the rules that we have adapted for our life and asking the question, are the ways that I see myself and are the rules that I carry around with me from the past still stuff that helps me and are still any good for us in the future? And maybe some of those rules we adopted even way back then were messed up. So we got to constantly be ripping some of these things out. And I want to talk about a few of these things. I just wrote a few down. Like sometimes these are things that I hear from people. I've always been behind Pastor Mike, and I'm always going to be behind. I feel like I'm never on track. As if there is this standard that says at 23 you should do this, at 30 you should do this, at 40 you should do this. And if it, that, that's garbage. That's not true. You may just be on a different track, but it's not a bad track because it's what God has you on. There are plenty of people that look like when they started out their life, like they were going to be super behind. Albert Einstein was one of these people. He was brilliant, incredible. And one of the things that he did was the teacher said that he was uh, disabled, that he was not, not smart enough to continue in school. And what did he go on to do? That, that falls to the next one. Some people think, I'm just not smart. It's not that you're not smart. You may just be different in the way that you think. These little boxes that we put people in and say, hey, you have to fit within this kind of intellectual world. Maybe you're a creative. I mean, listen, can we just say right now, the, some of the richest people in our entire world are not, high, are not college graduates? I mean, they're just not. They're just not college graduates. They're just extremely entrepreneurial, and they don't fit within the box. And so you don't need to walk around thinking, I'm not smart. It's never going to work out. That's an old junk tape you need to get rid of. My, this one's one of my favorites because it's personal. I'm not good with people. I married a girl like this. 
right? And when we first married, like I'm an extrovert, and so and she's an introvert. And so when we first got married, it was, I don't know why we didn't talk about that. It was like one of the only things we didn't talk about beforehand. Went through premarital counseling. I am a counselor. All of that stuff was like just amazing. And then all of a sudden we got in, got all of our furniture in, which meant a mattress and a table, and got all our stuff, like all that stuff, and we we're so poor, got all that stuff in, ready to go. And I'm like, who are you going to hang out with and have dinner with tonight? And she's like, I thought maybe you and me. I was like, okay, all right, we can do that. That's fine. And then the next day I'm like, hey, who are we going to hang out with tonight? Who are we going to have dinner with? And she's like, I think uh, me and you. And I was like, okay. So Friday comes wrong. I'm like, hey, who are we going to have dinner with? It's a weekend, man. It's a weekend. Who are we going to hang out with? She's like, I thought it'd be you and me. And it suddenly flashed on it. It was going to be you and me, you and me, you and me forever, forever. I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And then because the two become one flesh, that's what the Bible, but, but that two becomes one flesh is not just the sexual union, it's the coming together of hearts and souls over time, right? And as the two become one flesh, what happened was I began moving in her direction, right? And she began moving in my direction. And she became more extroverted and more extroverted. I became a little bit less, you know, like people, 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 people. And then we, we hit the sweet spot. It was awesome. And then we kept going. I don't know what happened. Like it just happened. Now she's like, who are we going to hang out with? I'm like, no one, we're going home. <laughs> Done with people done with people. I'm like, you should have done it when we were young. I'm old now. And it's not going to happen anymore. You know, it's amazing. But, but what was really going on in her heart, what was really going on in her heart was she just had some stuff from the past that she needed to work through to realize she actually wasn't bad with people. She just had some bad experiences with people. And she globalized that to the rest of her life. And some of us, we just need to step aside and go, you know what? I've got to look at, and I've got to challenge preconceived ideas I have about myself. Because some of those preconceived ideas that I have about myself are just rooted in sin and wrongness. They just are. I'll never get my eating under control. That was the thing actually for me for a long time. I struggled with that for a long time. Uh, eventually, God just got it under control. I'll never have the right opportunities. You think, I just haven't had the right opportunities. You haven't had the right opportunities till now. But God is always at work. And in a moment, he can change your entire life. And you need to wake up every single day realizing that God is the power of the universe in his hand that he has the ability to do anything and everything that he wants. And if he desires a change in you, and it happens, God does that. I'll never get past my past. That's another one that people struggle with a lot. And I just want you to know as somebody who has gotten past much of their past, that you can absolutely do that. Why? Because you are not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. You have the capacity to do that. God is with you. And God will shape your desires in one of two ways. Let's take a look at that. God will shape your desires in one of two ways. Um, Number one, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Very frequently when you ask God, God, I, know I want or I desire or I want to see this happen in the world, God shows up and he brings the desires of your heart. But for 14 years, the room that you're sitting in right now, I, I prayed every single day for the room that you're sitting in here. And it was hard for us to find real estate that was the right kind of thing in the right way. For 14 direct years, I prayed every day and every day woke up going, today's not going to be the day. All God said to me the entire time was, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And that was a comfort to me to know that God was still with me, but it didn't change the way I felt. And so eventually I started asking God, either give me the desires of my heart and help me to be able to take grace to the next level or change the desires inside my heart. Help me to be a different man as a result. Humble yourself and say, God, sometimes what I desire may not be the right thing. And because of that, it may, in your mind, it may be like, this is totally important and very, very, it's the only way I'm going to be happy. But that's what we do. We surrender that. We give ourselves to him. Verses 6 and 7. Paul takes verses 6 and 7 to a totally different level. 
We started with set your mind on something else. Now he ups the ante. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind, remember, spiritual life is always, always, always fought in the mind. Can I just everybody take it in for a second. Spiritual life is always, the battle of your soul is always in your brain. Your brain dictates all the rest of you. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Let's take a look at it. So the first thing I want you to notice is the word governed, the word governed, and the word governed. Three times in two verses, he uses this word governed. So Paul basically moves us from the idea of when you set your mind on something, that eventually that thing you set your mind on, if it's positive or if it's negative, will govern your life. It will rule your life. And everybody is ruled by something. Materialists are, world, uh, are, uh, are ruled by their, uh, the, the number in their bank account. Um, people who are all about their, their appearance, is, uh, uh, they, they are ruled by the impressions of everyone else. He says here, the mind governed by the flesh is death. It doesn't mean just physical death. It means death of emotions, death of relationships, death of hopes and dreams, desires, all that stuff. The flesh inside of you is nothing that can be negotiated with. It is contrary to the will of God. And because of that, we can't make deals with it. We can't partner with it. We can't reform it. It will one day be destroyed, and that's it. Until then, we make the choice. We step back from ourselves and go, am I living here or am I living here? Flesh or spirit, I'm going to choose spirit as much as I can. The mind governed by the flesh produces death inside of us. The mind governed by this Holy Spirit is life and peace. So you have death or life and peace. Obvious answer, everyone seems, yeah, I definitely want life and peace. But it has to do with what we set our minds on. So what you set your mind on will eventually become the rule over your life. When you commit your life to drinking, you will become an alcoholic and then it will rule or govern your life. If you become somebody who is guided by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will become the rule of your life and guide your life. That's just how it works. And as, as, he, as, he, as he shows it here, he says, the mind governed by the flesh, so not the Holy Spirit, the mind governed by the flesh, which is death, is hostile to God. You hear that? That means that there's a part of us that's always hostile towards God, right? So hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law. Now, the hostility towards God thing for a second. I hear Christians all the time talk about this. You know, have you read the book of Revelations? No, I haven't. Right, okay, so, 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 so everyone's like all afraid. These terrible things are going to happen. There's hostile people against us. Everything, the whole world's falling apart. <laughs> Guys, come on, Listen. I, in 25 years of sharing the gospel with people, have never come across an openly, outwardly hostile person to my faith. Maybe I just have a way of talking about it that makes sense to people, but at the, at the end of the day, I've seen them on TV, I've heard them in lectures, I've seen it's not that they don't exist, but somebody who is outwardly hostile to the gospel, that's not what this is talking about in that way. Here's what, because we know that, because of what he qualifies it with here. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Paul, in what way or how is the mind hostile to God. It does not submit. That's what's hostile. So sometimes when I'll talk to somebody who's far from God, I'll say something like, Jesus wants to make a difference in your life. And they'll listen to it and they'll go, man, I, I will hear people all the time say, and you may be one of these people here today. You're like, what you're saying totally makes sense. The, the starving, the feeding, the, 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 what you set your mind on determines the outcomes of your life. Yes, that stuff makes sense to everybody, not just religious people, but to everybody. 
But, but this is the part where you might struggle, and that is that when you look in the Word, when you see something in the Bible, or you hear something come from a preacher, um, you might go, but you know what? I can't do that. That's where I'm going to draw the line. So they're not outwardly hostile towards us. What they are is inwardly disabled from taking the next step. And in order for them to take the next step, because it says here, they, they cannot submit to God's law, nor can they do so. So the, the concept of submission, I think, gets a really twisted up, kind of messed up uh, idea inside the church sometimes, because we only relate submission to women. Men tend to think of submission as a female trait, not a man a male trait, and that's not right. The Bible teaches us that all of us, so Ephesians 5, uh, 21, um, women uh, be in submission to your husbands uh, as unto the Lord. And then prior to that, the verse right before that, which sets the stage for 21, says this, be in submission one to another. Be in submission one to another. And so what does, what does the word uh, submit here, right? The word submit here, it means give up rights, give up rights. Now, I want you to hear this in light of everything going on in our world today. This is so contrary to what, and it makes total sense of what's happening in the world right now. Why? Because the world is hostile to God, and it does not submit. It does not give up its rights to God's law, nor can it do so, right? In other words, you need Jesus in order to be able to do so. A relationship with Jesus enables you to follow God. But a submission, which is simply giving up our rights, take it in the context of marriage. When I get into a, my marriage with Kelly, um, I'm giving up my rights. I don't get to walk around going, I got rights, I'm going to do this. I got the right to be out Saturday night if I want to be out Saturday night. Woman, you can't tell me what to do, which would end in my death. But, uh, but, but let, me just, let me just tell you right now, like, I don't do that. Like, I'm not a pushover kind of guy. I don't do that because when I married her, I said, here are my rights. I'm going to give to you my rights. You, you now possess them. And she gives those to me. And that to me is what's what it means to be in one and submission to each other. And that's actually what he's talking about here, right? The mind that is governed or ruled by the flesh is hostile to God. And it shows up by not submitting to God's laws. And they can't. And I want you to understand this because look at it. Nor can it do so. The mind not, look at this, that is hostile to God cannot submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You see that, right? Here's what's important for that. Stop being the cop to everyone that's not a Christian about their morality. Exactly. Stop being the cop. The Holy Spirit is the convictional part of a person's life. And it's literally saying here in God's word, in Romans 8, 7, they can't change. So when they act morally in a disappointing way to you, don't be surprised because you're acting according to the flesh and the flesh wars against God and is hostile towards his purposes. I want you to understand that because as Christians, we have an opportunity if we stop being the world's cop, moral cop, come alongside them and teach them the beauty and the goodness of God and walking his path. And maybe just then, other people will come along and go, you know what? Man, I'm compelled by what you're talking about. I want to love. I want joy. I want peace. I want patience. I want kindness. I want goodness. I want gentleness. I want faithfulness. I want self-control in my life. I do want those things. I don't know how to get them. And we say, Jesus is the way that you get them. He's the only way that you get all those things together because those things are a reflection of the Spirit. They're the evidence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. But as Christians, we have to realize that our job is the job of submission, that we are giving up our rights. Did you know that when Paul's writing this to the Roman Empire, the impact that these words would have on the Roman Empire is that they would go from a polyistic Greek and Roman culture 
to 300 years later, the emperor himself become a follower of Jesus, and the entire Roman world become Christian. Now, how does that happen? Well, it's the same way you take a country like ours, which is busted and broken and hateful towards one another. We lay down our rights, and we serve, and we teach, and we give the more beautiful story to the world because we have the best story in the whole world, guys. It's just that some Christians, and I don't mean to be harsh here, I don't want this. It's just that some Christians, you really don't believe that. The gospel is more powerful than any political dumbness that we can jump into or anything else you can jump into because it is God's word and has the power to change the heart. So, so they cannot submit to it, so we're not going to ask them to submit to it. What we are going to do is show them how beautiful Jesus actually can be. Just to drive this point home, verse 8 says this, those who are in the realm of the flesh, in other words, under the flesh, cannot please God. So if you're in the room right now and you're like, yeah, 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 Pastor Mike, you tell him. I heard what you just said right there. Listen, if you are in the flesh, in other words, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not trusting him with your life, this is what describes you. And so notice it doesn't say if you are serving the poor, if you are saving the environment, if you are working for whatever rights there are that are necessary to work for, whatever they are, it doesn't say do those things and you will please God. It says enter into a relationship with God and you will please him. Because you can do all of those other things, but apart from him, you cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of flesh. He's writing to Rome, and he's writing to Christians inside of Rome. And he says, hey, I need to remind you, Christians, you don't walk in the flesh. You've been redeemed, you've been changed, and you've been given a whole new mission. And that is the, the mission of following Jesus in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Holy Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if you don't have Jesus on the inside, if you've not trusted Christ with your life, our hope for you and our deepest hope is that all of your desires will be satisfied in him. And I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, things will get better for you in this life as you trust Jesus, but know this for sure, you were made for another world. And ultimately, all of your desire will be satisfied only when you see him face to face. And that's how Paul ends this entire section right here. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, when sin entered the world, and we we don't want to take this too far because you can't say, hey, somebody got cancer, so obviously they were sinning. It's not what we do. That's not a Christian theology. It's a a Christian science theology, which is a, a cult. What we actually think is that the world entered, the sin entered into the world. And because of that, the whole world is in entropy right now. It's breaking down, right? Everything goes from order to disorder in our world, okay? And as it goes from order to disorder in the world, including our physical bodies, we decay and we fall apart. So Paul says, you will die physically one day, unless the Lord Jesus comes back before that. Your body is subject to death because of sin. The Holy Spirit gives life, 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 because the righteousness of Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit of Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, 
he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So if you have the Holy Spirit, when you die, you have Jesus in you when you die, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise you from the dead. The great hope of the Christian life is not that we have everything now, but that we will receive resurrection in the life to come and eternal life with him where all desire is fully satisfied in him and we are made whole once and for all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you give us beauty and goodness in this life. And Father, we, got, we have some old, old rules that are just rambling around inside of our heads sometimes. And those rules produce desires inside us that are scary and fearful and weird and strange. And, and I just, I ask right now, God, that you, you would help us to drop some of that stuff from our past. Is the world sinful? Sure. You, you tell us that. In fact, you tell us, Lord, that in this world we will have trouble. But then we forget the second part of that, which is take heart because I've overcome the world. Father, help us to live in the second part of that truth because we need to take heart in you, not in desires that fall short and that are too weak, but we need to fully embrace the desire for the truest happiness that we can possibly have and that can only be in you. Father, take our desires that are from the flesh and help us to starve them, God. And the desires, Father, that are in the spirit, Father, we ask, God, that you would help us to feed them, to give them life so that better and more beautiful things can come out of our lives. Help us to love the world around us better. Help us to walk in holiness and goodness to show the world that we can be different. It's in your name we pray. Amen.